Wright, and you're listening to the Gravity Player Podcast! Let's do this. Welcome, everyone, to the Gravity Beard Podcast. We're recording today in Studio A. Thank you, as always, to our listeners. We appreciate your continued support. Okay, let's get started. My guest today is Ralph Cramp, spokesman for the Scooby-Doo Justice Project. Ralph is an investigator heading up a very unique initiative. I'm sorry. I was told this is a serious public affairs podcast. Yes, we are. Then why did I just hear you say this is the Grab Bag Podcast? No, I said we're the Gravity Beard Podcast. Gravity as in serious and important. As I was saying, Mr. Cramp is an investigator. Independent. I'm sorry? I am an independent investigator. My apologies. An independent investigator and founder of the Scooby-Doo Justice Project. And as I've been trying to say... They're a research group who believes that the villains on the original Scooby-Doo show were innocent. Did I say that correctly? Yes. And as stated on their website, their goal is to now clear the names of these so-called villains, men like Mr. Wickles, Bluestone the Great, and Buck Masters. Is there any other background we should know about your project? You know, to do that, we're going to need to step back a little in history. Uh, in this case, to the year 1969, which was a very tumultuous year for America. As you recall, Richard Nixon had begun his first term as president. The war in Southeast Asia was escalating. The hippie movement exploded at Woodstock. And for the first time in history, man walked on the moon. But with so many momentous events... It was also the perfect time to slip one past the American people. And so, on September 13, 1969, CBS began the nationwide broadcast of a so-called children's cartoon, one that introduced dark stories of fraud, kidnapping, and even attempted murder, one that would lead to the unlawful incarceration of more than 20 men. That program was... Scooby-Doo, where are you? Now, more than four decades later, we as a team of investigators believe it's time to set the record straight. That's why we formed the Scooby-Doo Justice Project. Now, you've seen these Scooby-Doo episodes. You know these so-called villains could not have done what the show accuses them of. You just, you mentioned Mr. Wickles from episode one. Just briefly, for a moment... Think about, in that episode, the gang is being chased by a seven-foot-tall knight wearing over a hundred pounds of medieval jousting armor, yet Mr. Wickles is this thin little man who can barely keep his glasses on his nose. To say that he was the Black Knight is ridiculous and unjust, and so that's why we are simply setting out to clear the names of men like Mr. Wickles and any of the other villains excuse me, of the so-called villains. And if any of them are still alive, we'd ask them to contact us. For those of your listeners who wish to follow our work and offer their support, we publish our ongoing results on the Scooby-Doo Justice Project podcast, as you have said, and we do give daily updates of our research on Instagram. Ralph Cramp is not your real name. You've made it clear that you use an alias. Why the need for anonymity? 
Well, a lot of people don't like what we're doing. We're telling a truth that some very powerful people don't want heard. There has been significant pushback, and we don't always feel safe. Let me give you an example from Instagram. When we post our research, one of the most common comments that we get is why the falsehood, or it's often uh, abbreviated WTF. I'm almost positive that's not what WTF stands for. But back to your secure name, you said the idea came from an associate of yours named Hector de la Vericos, which of course is not his real name either. Explain the origin of your secure identity. That is correct. After I gave the keynote address at the International Congress of Independent Investigators in Elko, Nevada, Mr. De La Vericos took me aside. He told me I should not be using my real name. And then he explained to me how to formulate a secure one. For a first name, you take the, the first name of a deceased grandparent and for the last name, you take a minor medical condition that you may suffer from. This is due to the fact that the social security numbers of the deceased cannot be stolen, and the current HIPAA laws ensure complete confidentiality when it comes to medical records. If you don't mind, before we continue, I'd like to establish a secure name for myself using the same technique. Absolutely. I, I believe that is a good idea. So, First of all, I want you to give me the name of one of your dead grandparents. Okay, let's see. There's, there's Francis. Okay. There is Herbert. All right. There is Richard. All right. Was he ever known as Dick? I suppose. All right. Give me a minor malady that you might suffer from. Okay, so there was, there was acid reflux. Um, I had a foot contusion. I've had various gastrointestinal issues. I've got chronic lower back pain. And and I use reading glasses. All right. All right. Clearly, the best choice for your secure name would be Dick Reflux. I don't know about that. It sounds like a guy out of a pharmaceutical ad. Plus... I'm going to go with Herb Lumbar. Herb would be my last choice. You asked my opinion. Now, I'm not sure why you feel the need to be so adversarial about this. This may have been a bad idea. Let's move on, shall we? One more thing before we continue. Has anyone ever mentioned you have an odd speech pattern? In what way? So you've never heard that before. All right. How did you get into the field of criminal investigation? I've really been investigating my whole life, so there's no single incident I can point to where I can say, that's when I started. I guess, I mean, when did you get the law enforcement and criminology training you're constantly drawing on? You're always saying, this is how law enforcement does it. As you know, I have to be very careful about the kind of personal information I give out, but I can say the following, that I have worked alongside law enforcement numerous times. I have gotten my quote-unquote education from good old-fashioned casework, but do I have some certificate signed by some bureaucrat? No, but that's not what's most important in this field. Okay, so I take it to mean no formal training, but you did go to community college. I don't flaunt it, but I could write AA after my name, 
of course, I, I usually don't, mostly because it does make people think I'm with a, a certain sobriety program. At any rate, the few areas where my knowledge is lacking, I draw on help from my team of researchers and consultants. For example, I'm not able to see a lot of current movies, so I rely on our film correspondent, Joe Jaundice. Ah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I did want to ask you about your team. Some of them give reports on your podcast, some you just mentioned by name. Are these paid staff or volunteers? We are all volunteer, except for our producer, Marion Migraine, who has made it clear that she would not work on our show if we didn't pay her. All right, so these are volunteer experts who help you out. Would you mind briefly going through each of them? Well, as I said, there's Marion Migraine, our producer, and she is a female, and she is a woman, and she does not mind telling us what she thinks a lot of the time. There is J.W. Chafe, who is my criminal researcher, and I brought him on because of his criminal record, so that any time we come across something in a uh, a Scooby-Doo episode, I can get the criminal perspective. For example, when Scooby-Doo eats an entire plate full of cookies, then I can ask J.W. Chafe, is that the way a criminal would eat a plate of cookies? Uh, We have uh, Frank Melasma, who is my legal consultant, and it's true he is not a licensed attorney. He has not gotten his license or passed the bar in any state. We have Chet Chickenpox, who is my photo analyst expert, and he is a whiz with the Photoshop. He does things like uh, rotate, zoom in, and even crop photos that we can give him. I don't know how it's done, but it's just amazing what he provides us with. And then we have uh, Joe Jaundice, who of course is our film correspondent and a very smart guy. And I probably shouldn't say this, but something of a complainer. Uh, Repeatedly, we've wanted him to phone us during a movie from a movie theater, because this is what a correspondent does. They phone in during breaking events, and he refuses to do that. But basically, that is the group we work with. I've noticed that you have a contentious relationship with almost all of them, and they seem reluctant to work with you. Absolutely untrue. Where where on earth are you getting this? Isn't it true that you had a blow-up with C.W. Chafe and he quit? Still, others don't seem to be very qualified or don't offer anything useful, especially in the case of your legal expert, Frank Melasma. He seems to be more interested in selling various money-making schemes than in answering any of your legal questions. Well, first of all, my criminal uh, uh, researcher is named J.W. Chafe. I think you're getting him confused with C.W. Post, the uh, breakfast cereal. And second, just because we cannot afford to pay Mr. Melasma, in exchange, we allow him to promote certain business ventures during his calls. So that's your team. Let's shift our focus to your opponents, the Scooby-Doo gang themselves. You treat them like they're real people. So I'm going to name each gang member, and I want you to tell me what you think of them. Let's start with Fred. Fred Jones. There's strong evidence that Fred's name, Fred's real name, was actually Ronnie that he stole the identity of a very elderly person named Fred Jones, who actually had recently passed away before the show, so that Ronnie, or who we know as Fred Jones, could avoid the draft. Otherwise, why would 
the Fred Jones on the show, the leader of the gang, the one with the neckerchief, uh, come up as being 74 years old in the records. Okay, and what about Daphne? Daphne Blake. Okay, here's what we know about her. She's a teenager. She's a redhead, which means that she does have the MC1R gene, giving her a higher pain threshold. She's possibly left-handed, and being a redhead, she's more likely to attract honeybees. And then, of course, there's Velma. Velma Dinkley. We know that she's the shortest member of the gang, and as the only one who wears glasses, she often fills the role of analyst and interpreter of the facts. Uh, In fact, whenever the gang needs to look up something in a book, it's Velma who reads it aloud. We suspect that she wears a bulky orange sweater to hide her very muscular physique. This strength is displayed when she lifts several gang members at a time and carries them short distances. What about Shaggy? Shaggy. Yes, very interesting. His real name is Norville Rogers. And listen to this. His last name, Rogers, is of Old English derivation, most likely from the Dark Age Scandinavian name, Hrothgar. Those of you who know their Anglo-Saxon epic poetry recognize him as the Danish king whose mead hall was haunted by the bloodthirsty monster Grendel, as told in the epic Beowulf. Now think about this. Like Hrothgar, Rogers, our teenage gang member, is also followed by a formidable hairy beast. Hrothgar was king of the Danes. Scooby-Doo, the dog, is of the breed Great Dane. There are so many parallels here that we've found that to suggest that they're all coincidence is absolutely laughable. Okay, you just mentioned it briefly, but what about the titular character Scooby? Scooby-Doo. His real name is Scoobert Doo. He is a genetically modified Great Dane dog who, throughout the show, gained more and more human characteristics uh, as he helped the gang continue their work. Things like an opposable thumb and the ability to read, and then, of course, the ability to talk, though with a very strong speech impediment. So I think here's the most important question. Where do they come from, and why did they start investigating mysteries? Well, we think that they were operatives brought in from the East Coast, brought in to do this job. And as far as why, on the bigger picture, we really don't know. That's what we're continuing to investigate. So what do you suppose they're trying to accomplish? Is it just to solve mysteries, or is it something less obvious and sinister? Well, like I said, we don't know all of their motives, We do know they were tasked with framing innocent men. Let me give you the the profile they were going after. These so-called villains were almost all middle-aged white men in financial difficulty who, for some reason, needed to be set up as criminals and hauled away. And at this, we know the Scooby-Doo gang succeeded. Right. According to your group, in each show, the Scooby-Doo gang would frame a villain but that doesn't give the big picture explanation as to what they were ultimately trying to accomplish. It seems like a whole lot of trouble just to send a few nobodies to jail. Now, your group has come up with some wildly divergent theories about that. For example, you presented the Marmaduke theory. Yes, the Marmaduke theory. Um, Let me just 
briefly outline that. In the early 1950s, the Russians were years ahead in developing super-intelligent dogs. If you recall, while our American dogs were busy biting their own foot and thinking they were being attacked, the Russian dog Laika was piloting an advanced rocket into orbit. So the U.S. military, knowing the public would not get behind our own dog astronaut program, developed the Marmaduke Daily Comic and distributed it to hundreds of newspapers. The goal was to normalize the concept of a superintelligent genetic hybrid Great Dane with the hope that one day we would beat the Russians at their own game of canine cosmonauts. But the plan didn't work. And so starting in the 1960s, NASA was forced to train humans men like John Glenn and Neil Armstrong, to pilot our spacecraft. Yet the Marmaduke plan was never fully abandoned, like so many military things that get a budget. And so in 1969, a strategic change was made to try to influence Americans with another Great Dane, but this time in a so-called children's show. And that's where we get Scooby-Doo. But isn't it true... That even J.W. Chafe, criminal researcher and a member of your team, presented the theory that Scooby-Doo was just a cartoon designed to entertain children? We appreciate J.W. much of the time, but just between you and me and maybe your listeners, he has some very crazy ideas. Yes, we've heard the cartoon theory put forward many times, but the fact is it just doesn't hold up if you actually watch the Scooby-Doo series. Though the show is edited to deceive the viewer, the series clearly depicts actual events. Okay, let's leave that for a moment. Many people have seen patterns in Scooby-Doo. In almost every episode, Scooby has an issue with a small animal, Shaggy eats a giant sandwich, Velma loses her glasses, Daphne gets captured, Fred has some harebrained scheme to catch the monster, But you're the only group that has concluded that the gang is going around falsely accusing innocent men. Why is that? Not everyone is as observant as we are. Were you aware that the U.S. ranks 37th among developed nations in independent investigative skills? And where are you getting that statistic? That was unearthed by our researcher, Corky, who got it from a U.N. study panel. Or he possibly saw it on Univision, one of those two. Okay, speaking of patterns, I've observed several patterns from your show as well. Would you like to hear what they are? I imagine you're going to tell me anyway. You discuss an episode of Scooby-Doo. You bring on someone from your team of experts. Occasionally they quit on you, like in the case of J.W. Chafe. You yell at and insult your listeners with derogatory terms. The most dramatic example of this occurred in Lunenburg. What did you call them and what happened? That's right. You caused a riot. And how did it go when you tried to repair the situation? I cannot control the fact that Nova Scotians are so prone to violence. Not a week goes by that we don't hear about them rioting and burning something. And I'm sure I could use a few colorful terms to describe your show. I'm not sure what your point is. My point is, is you seem to have difficulty working with others. Anybody who's actually listened to my podcast would find that laughable, but all right. 
Okay, this is directly from your podcast. I'll give you examples. First, the relationship with your team, which we've already spoken about. Then there's the graduation speech, which we'll get to later on. Then there's the interview that you did before this one. And maybe the most glaring example is the fact that you keep claiming to be an independent investigator. I'm sorry. I didn't realize this was the Phil Donahue show. Lots of people react negatively when presented with brilliant evidence they can't argue with. Back to your qualifications for coming up with this stuff. A question I'm not sure a lot of people are asking is, why are you an independent investigator? Is it because you're not qualified to work with law enforcement organizations? First of all, because I'm not officially a part of law enforcement, I can step back and look at the bigger picture. Also, I have worked very closely with law enforcement on numerous occasions. On criminal investigations? Well, some might uh, call it that. They were officially known as children's charity events, but you know how kids behave. Sure. Right up there with the FBI's 10 most wanted. Speaking of children, let's discuss the commencement address you were supposed to deliver to a class of middle school children last spring. Yes. I've heard from a number of people about how much it inspired them. Yeah, except that some people on the school board got a copy of it several days before the ceremony, and you weren't allowed to deliver it. Is that right? Technically, yes, but we did make the recording of it available as a backup for any school whose graduation speaker was unable to make it at the last minute. Okay, this happened in the spring of 2017. You were going to address this to preteen kids and their families, and I have to honestly say it's probably the worst commencement address I've ever heard. You told children to mooch off their parents, surround themselves with yes-men, not to try to change the world, and to stick knives into their heads. Yes, but you have to remember that on that last one, it was a powerful analogy about pumpkins not reaching their full potential until they are carved into jack-o'-lanterns. But you did literally tell children to pick up sharp knives and start cutting. Twelve-year-olds are much more sophisticated than you give them credit for. But probably worst of all, you told them to look to four cartoon characters for their life's inspiration. I did not. I'm reading the title of your speech. It says, The Four Things I Learned from Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Exactly. And you notice... I did not use the word cartoon. All right, we've sort of danced around this one. I've tried to be polite and respect your point of view. But honestly, Ralph, there's no other conclusion a thinking person can come to. Scooby-Doo was a cartoon. You have no proof of that. It was a kid's cartoon. And that means the Scooby-Doo Justice Project is dedicated to clearing the names of cartoon characters. Is this what you do? Lure guests on your little podcast and ambush them? Well, here's what I will do. I will put the word out about you and your web of deceptions, and no one will ever make the mistake of listening to your gravel bar podcast. It's Gravity Beard. Perhaps I didn't enunciate that very well. Anyway, I think Ralph has hung up on me. Honestly, I'm surprised he stayed on this long. The whole thing with Scooby-Doo being a cartoon seems to be a very sensitive issue with his group. But I don't want to color your judgment. I would encourage you to find out for yourself if Ralph and his team are brilliant investigators or total crackpots. The Scooby-Doo Justice Project is on iTunes and Stitcher, or you can stream it from their site, scooby-doojusticeproject.com. For daily updates on their research, find them on Instagram and Facebook. Let's finish up with our typical credits. 
You can listen to Gravity Beard on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or anywhere else you consume podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at TheGravityBeard. Email us at contactthebeard at gmail.com or interact with us and other indie pods in the Underdog Podcast community on Facebook. We definitely want to hear from you. If you like our show enough to support us financially, you can do so by going right now to patreon.com forward slash gravitybeard to sign up. Gravity Beard is a proud member of the Podfix Network. You can go to podfixnetwork.com to see a complete list of network shows or search at Podfix on Twitter. Please also consider subscribing to Podfix Presents. It's a podcast by all the Podfix hosts where you can hear exclusive original content that you'll not hear on their individual shows. Our theme song is Sophomore Makeup by Silent Partner. This song is also by Silent Partner. It's called The Only Girl. Both songs can be found on the YouTube audio library. So many great things coming up on the show. In fact, we're in the middle of another season of Blender Dogs, and episode three is later this week. And two weeks from today is our second anniversary. Be sure to tune in because Greg, Tom, and Ivan are back, and you're not going to believe how we chose to celebrate. Until next time, this is Gravity Beard. It's what your ears will want to be listening to. Network.